Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We are continuing our celebration of Black History Month with a discussion about the film Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which we've mentioned before when we talked about uh, both Danzel Washington and Viola Davis. So I'm very excited to delve deep into this one. And Carla is the only panelist on for this one, but it's great. I love having those one-on-ones, and I love Carla. She's one of the best panelists we have. So... (laughs) But before I have Carla tell me what she's into this week, just a couple of quick housekeeping notes. Of course, we are taking listener support for as little as 99 cents a month to $9.99 a month. Head on over to our anchor page and click listener support there or click on the link in the show notes. And also remember, we have our Redbubble store. So if you need a new mask, if you need a new mug, if you need a new sweatshirt, head on over there. And remember, 50% of what we see from that and from the listener support will go to one Black Lives Matter organization per month. Okay, so tell me, what are you into this week, Carla? I have recently just been kind of exploring my options on Netflix and, uh, what I have, because I, I'm still watching Gilmore Girls, this is my like 20th week of, of this torture, but I have found joy in tweeting my thoughts about Gilmore Girls. So right now I'm obsessed with tweeting the things that I don't like. <laughs> so it's not like quite hate tweeting because I don't hate it, but it's a snarky remark tweeting about Gilmore Girls. That's my obsession. <laughs> And I love following your tweets on it because I've never watched Gilmore Girls. I've watched like maybe part of one episode and I was always told you should watch this because you grew up with a single mother. And <laughs> good enough reason. I know, <laughs> and and... So, so did Norman Bates, but like <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that as a as a guidepost for why you should watch Psycho. I mean, that is why I watched Bates Motel, is I was like, okay. <laughs> Um, uh, we should do an episode on that show. Anyway, sorry. I think that show is so underrated. Um, but I just never could get into it. And I, you know, I have a real issue with the way single mothers are usually portrayed in media because especially since I grew up with a single mother, so many portrayals are like they're drug addicts or they're sluts or they're, you know, and I'm sure, and there, I'm sure there are, but the majority aren't. So yeah. And I mean, I, I don't think she's portrayed that way <laughs> no i mean like in, in that sense you would be very satisfied about uh her agency and her 
take charge in and just how how she manages her life. It's just everything else about her <laughs> would have you running for the hills. Yeah, well, we are doing an episode on Gilmore Girls, so I guess I'm going to have to watch some of it. <laughs> <laughs> Let this is why I've, I've other just read my tweets. It's fine. You don't need to actually That's watch. Just go back doing. to my timeline. <laughs> like, okay, well, this is what goes on the show, so I'll just repeat what you said, and I'll there be as Carla said, <laughs> and it'll all be snark. Yeah. Um, well, and this is Aaron, and what I'm into, I am very late to the party, I know, but I started watching what we do in the shadows, the mockumentary about vampires, which of course Taika Waititi did the movie, which I never saw the movie. I know, I know, I know. But it's so funny, and I cannot believe I haven't watched this before because it's so up my alley because, number one, vampires. Number two, the comedy element to it and having that docu- that documentary crew there. It's just – I mean, it is so good, and the performances are good, so I'm really glad I finally checked it out. And that, of course, you can watch that on Hulu. Okay, so let's get into Ma Rainey's. Um, so, Carla, I just want to get your overall thoughts on the film. The movie overall, it's such a gut punch. And I I wasn't familiar with August Wilson's um, plays. I mean, I've heard of them. For one thing, I'm not really much of a plays kind of person. But um, this definitely had the feel of a play. But it still translated really, really well into a film. So that's just like the technical overview of my feeling about it but emotionally it really packs a punch um the story itself all of the the layers under it because as you go through it you see ma rainey as a like as a diva as a very demanding kind of person and then you understand why she is like this and and why it's necessary you also see that um like the inverted like the, the funhouse mirror of that and um Levy's performance uh and who he is to the film and as a character in relation to Ma Rainey and just on the whole it's a very uh it's a quick study of what it is to be a black creative in the United States where your art is constantly being appropriated and monetized without that money falling into your pockets and where you are a commodity and only as important as the, uh, um, as how far you can fatten a white person's wallet so it, it has like so many components to it, so many layers. And it has a lot of tension. It has a lot of joy. But it's ultimately just a lot of um, of sadness and tragedy just in, in this one quick movie. Mm-hmm. I'm just like completely blown away. Just like my brain is... <laughs> Yeah, and um, I've, I've watched it twice, and I think the second time it has an even more powerful impact. 
Um, I've never seen this play live. I have seen, like, like I mentioned before, I did see Fences, which is incredible live. I love the movie too. Um, I love plays. I was just talking to someone about how much I miss the theater and I miss being able to see, be there and feel it. Um, and there's a part of me that will always miss actually that feeling of, of being on stage because there's no other high like being on stage. Um, and so that's what I loved about this. I think there are a lot of people, and we've talked about this before when we talked about fences, a lot of people have issues with plays that become movies sometimes when they feel like a play, because this definitely feels like a play. The dialogue, a lot of the scenes, um, how a lot of it is just, it's basically just one day. There's of course another day before this day, but it's basically just all one day. Um, so that's very much like a play. It's very intimate. It's all about the characters, not really about action and stuff like that. But that's one of the reasons I love it. And I think um, I, I makes me want to see the play. Um, so I can't speak to as far as like if it's better or worse than seeing it live or any differences or anything like that. But I just think it's a really beautiful film to watch. Um, and the performances, which we're going to get into here in just a second, are all outstanding. Everybody is so, so good in this. Um, and we're of course going to talk about Chadwick because we've got to talk about Chadwick Boseman, um, and just him overall again. But yeah, I did. I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. I think it's a film that actually warrants second viewings because of the fact that there's so much in there to take in and there's so many different layers of the performances and the characters. Yeah. So I definitely, definitely liked it. Um, well, since neither one of us have seen the play, I, we'll just go ahead and get into the performances. So overall, what did you think of Viola Davis? Well, she's just incomparable. She, I, I watched the little, um, I guess like documentary that accompanies the film and they're talking about her performance and how electrifying she is because she absolutely is. She commands every ounce of, of attention um what when she's you know she she she's a great scene partner because she does what she needs to do and she have she inhabits the role completely she you're pulled to her character and to her performance but there's still space for the other characters to to breathe and that's that's a, a singular gift that is really just something that not a lot of people well, no, there there are plenty of, of actors who can but there aren't as many who can wield their talents as deftly as she can and um i i just you know i can't say enough about how amazing she is um but yeah just there's so many layers to ma rainey and they're all on display from the beginning but you don't really get to understand them until the dialogue leads you to, leads you to them, which I think is something you know more. Um, uh, what's it called? More to do with with it being a play versus, you know, like a a movie movie or a television show. And it's it's her character's broken down. 
by and so that by the end of the film you completely grasp the entire scene you're you're given like these close-ups of of pieces of her and the entire time Viola Davis is completely in the role like she's not playing up a particular aspect of Ma Rainey so it's a it's a great um interaction uh between her and the direction and the the production just it, it, the whole thing just works so amazingly well i'm just mm-hmm. like over here like my my brain is hot from <laughs> from thinking about all of this i love that my brain is hot <laughs> i'm stealing that i'm gonna say that from now <laughs> my brain is hot it's working overtime <laughs> that's awesome though um yeah there she's She's, I think a lot of what you're talking about is she's not a selfish actor at all. Right. Um, and I think for any performance to be really great, you have to be unselfish. You have to be, you have to be willing to really be in the moment there with your scene partner, with who you are performing with so that you can give them your all and they can give you their all. Um, instead of being like, I am the great actor and I am going to do everything, you know, and just being really loud and bombastic and taking over instead of doing that, just being really calm and in the moment and in the scene and, you know, acting is reacting. And she is so good at that. And she just is a natural. It's just like, you know, I think some actors can be trained and they can get better and, but like we said when we did the episode all about her and about Denzel as well, is there are just some actors that are born with a gift and she was born with this gift. It was granted to her. And I know she studied at Juilliard, so of course she's been classically trained. But I think she also just has that inherent gift. And you can tell this is what she was born to do. This is what she was put on this earth to do. And she's doing it. And she's doing it in outstanding ways. And I'm glad that, you know, she's finally been given the chance to get away from all those stereotypical roles that she always had to take of like the crack mom and the um, maid and all that stuff. And that she's able to take roles like this that challenge her, I'm assuming, um, because I I can't think of another Viola Davis performance that is like this. That's what's so incredible about her and about this movie can you, Carla? I yeah. mean, I... No, nothing. There, there's nothing like this role. There's no one like Ma Rainey. And it's... I mean, you just left floored. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, obviously this is coming from somebody who's talented and, and gifted. But where did all this come from? <laughs> you just end up like on the floor like, whoa! Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which is why it's so... It's just so incredible and we'll get more into her character and about the sexuality and stuff and i should have said up front anybody listening we're going to be spoiling this movie so you know you don't want to be spoiled for the last few minutes of this movie so just a heads up on that um okay so let's get into the other incredible performance although i think there are like i said everybody is incredible but let's talk about chadwick boseman so what were your thoughts about him in this movie well, we know this is his last role, and we know that this is when he was physically struggling. Um, and in this performance, 
in the story and in the dialogue, he's talking about how basically he's full of life and he's full of promise. He's young. He's out to conquer the world. He um, has all of these dreams and all of this hope for the future. And it's hard not to get emotional watching that, knowing that he dies, that Chadwick Boseman dies very soon after filming this movie. And that's the part that really, more than anything, made me want to sob. Because, you know, I I think, you know, uh, I'm definitely still mourning his loss. I know that you are. A lot of us still are. Um, We're still very much in, in shock. But there's no hint at all of that in the character, which tells you everything about Chadwick Boseman as an actor. This this character thinks he has the role at his feet, that he knows how to game the system. He knows how to play the white man's game and he's going to win. He's confident and cocky. Um, and because of that, he's also impatient and imprudent and he doesn't take the steps that he needs to protect himself and his intellectual property so and, and that's why he's the the funhouse version of ma rainey because they're both extremely talented musicians but ma rainey has learned what the system is how to play it how to game it how to get everything out of it that she is entitled to that she knows these white producers are not going to give her unless she takes it. And Levy, <clears throat> sorry, Levy is uh, very wrong in his assessment of his cunning. Um, and th- there's just, you know, he's out there trying to seduce Ma Rainey's girl and he's out here uh putting down all of these great musicians who have been who are significantly older than him and have significantly more experience than him who are trying to tell him you're going about this the wrong way you're going to get hurt and he just lashes out in the worst way when he doesn't get what he wants and in this character there's a lot of hubris and there's a lot of um, of lack of self-awareness and all of it is compelling and very watchable and very interesting because Chadwick Boseman is an absolute pro and he he put everything into this performance in a very unselfish way because when you take on a character like this who is so unlikable you're you're doing this for the benefit of the whole production of the whole story and he just launched himself completely into it so fearless and so absolutely amazing and you know uh, it's cheap to say well if he was going to go then this is the the way to go out it really is. But at the same time, you know, he was in top form. He was absolutely in top form. And that just makes it harder to deal with his loss. 
to to see that you know he was still so young and had so much of a path to to continue on um but he really gave this performance his all and that's that's a gift to to us as an audience and he it's a his performance and 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 this movie on the whole is a gift to black america great i um yeah he's he's so sorry i'm all of a sudden at a loss for words but um he was such a gift and so incredible to watch and it's amazing to if you like were to watch say black panther and then immediately watch this you'd be like that's not the same actor and i'm not talking about the physical here at all i'm talking about the performance because every the way he moves his body and the way you see his eyes and the way his voice is and everything is different it's like just a totally different character and you can tell he has completely become this character. There's no Chadwick in there anymore at all. He's gone. And he's this character who is so interesting to watch because there's so much like bravado there and so much, you know, like I, I'm better than all of you and I'm better than all you old timers and I know what I'm doing and I'm a better musician. I'm a better writer. I'm a better songwriter. I'm a better, all this stuff. I'm just better at this and I know how to play this game better than you do. And it's that cockiness and that bravado that gets him in trouble a lot in the movie and with the conversations that he has and gets him, um, fired, you know, in the end, um, it, it's in, you know, I mean, but and it's these things that he does that's, um, almost snake-like in some ways, but you understand a lot of where he is coming, especially when he's talking about, when he talks about his mom and what happened to his mom and he explains that whole story and the whole monologue about that and being afraid of the white man and then now being like, I'm not afraid of the white man anymore and talking about his father and all these things. And you can see this vulnerability and this part of him where he's really just this little boy and he lost so much and he's had to fight so much and struggle so much. And he wants to get away from that little boy, but that little boy is still inside him. And he just wants to be, you know, looked at as a whole human being and worth something. And like, he's got the power and his whole thing with his brand new shoes. I mean, that whole thing is so important to him. And it's not just about the shoes. It's about the fact that of what they're representing, they're representing that he gets to show the world that look what I can do. I can get these spiffy new shoes I am better than the generations before me and I can do better and I can be better and I can be respected. And when I wear these shoes, I will be respected. And I mean, there's so much more to it. We're going to get into it when we get into the end here, but there's so much more to it than just the shoes getting scuffed, of course, at the end um, because of what happens right before that scene. But having the shoes be such a buildup throughout the whole movie is so important because then it adds to the power of that last scene 
of the fact that when those get scuffed, that's the final thing for him, the final straw. And he ends up taking that hurt and that anger that has built up since for since he was probably since he was born and takes it out on someone that he did didn't really mean to take it out on. He wanted to take it out on the white producers, the white men, all the white people throughout history in his life. And then it just happened that he didn't do that. And it's it's very tragic. I mean, his character is a very tragic character. His storyline is a tragic storyline. Um, you know, and but it's so powerful to watch and he's so amazing to watch and the just the way he moves his body. I just can't get over the way he moves his body in this movie. It's so incredible. It's like just oh, it's like watching an amazing musician, and I know he's playing musician, but it's watching right. an amazing musician using his instrument. Right. Yeah. It's it's poetry and it's music mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. absolutely perfect. It just you know everything from to that moment where he uh, burst through that forbidden door, that locked door. Mm-hmm. It's just captivating the way he handles the the trumpet, the way he uh, flirts with with does he may mm-hmm. every bit of cockiness, every bit of of. Uh, what's a capitulation everything it's like a dance it's a perfect choreography Mm -hmm. yeah that's a great way to put it a dance yeah yeah it's it's incredible and I'm positive he's going to be nominated for this performance Um, I don't know about winning but I'm positive he will be nominated so and he would deserve to win and not it and he would deserve to win you know, a lot of people sometimes don't like it when people win posthumously and they just think they just won because they passed away. Um, but he deserves this. He, it's absolutely it wouldn't be like a pity thing of like we lost him and we have to make sure that he got some reward. No, he would deserve it. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, well, another performance that I've mentioned before, and it was one of my hopes that didn't happen of getting a nomination, is um, Coleman Domingo. Um, and I mean, a Golden Globe nomination, sorry. Um, and I think Coleman Domingo is just an amazing actor who doesn't get talked about enough. Um, but I want to talk about him and of course his, his character Cutler. So what are your thoughts on him in the movie? He was, he was really instrumental in the movie to, um, solidifying the stories of both Ma Rainey and Levy because you really had this this person who seems so professional and and smart and he knows the game he knows what you're supposed to do what you're not supposed to do he's trying to referee when there's a fight uh well not a fight but like this very heated discussion among the band members and he is trying to do what he feels is best for the record by pushing Ma Rainey's version over Levy's version, um, by trying to keep Sylvester from doing the the spoken word intro to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, um, and by taking the the heat from Ma Rainey, and also by kind of calming her, sitting next to her, having a conversation with her, 
uh, being the the band leader, all of these things, they're all more or less like a caretaker role. He's, um, you know, putting out fires, making sure things run smoothly. Um, so it, it's a very interesting character because I think that without the his temperament as an actor and in in that role, it just wouldn't feel it would feel disingenuous the entire um, I think the entire thing would really feel off if you didn't have him kind of as the uh, as the pin for each of these characters around which they can do their thing more broadly and more boldly. And he's just quietly in the background. And that's one of the things with, with, uh, with characters who don't end up getting the glory the way that lead characters tend to do. Um, it's that they're just so good at kind of being there, being in the background and, and doing a great job doing what they do that they don't get talked about enough. So I agree. Like, I think that there are just so many underrated actors who are consistently fantastic in everything that they do. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's amazing. And the scene where he's about to get sliced, you know, and, and he, he looks, you know, like I was scared and there's like, with that kind of stuff, I don't usually get scared because I'm like, you're not going to die. Like, you're going to be fine. Like chill, you know, take a breather, take a five. Do you need to smoke? Go out and smoke. Nobody's, nobody's going to hurt you. As a viewer, you know, and in this movie, watching it, I know that he's going to be fine, but his performance terrified me. Like, I was so scared for him because he was so scared. And it's rare to have, when you consume as much media as I do, <laughs> it's it's hard to be scared through an actor's performance. And I think also, like, you know, um, Supernatural kind of ruined um, impending death for me because I'm like, okay. You're not going to die. I'm not particularly worried about you. You know, like nobody's going to come back from the death in this particular film, but I know you are going to be okay. But yeah, he's, <laughs> he's amazing. And I just can't imagine everything else working without him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I really didn't think Supernatural would come up in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I have my ways. That was funny, though. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I mentioned A Night at the Roxbury. That really would have been out of left field. You haven't mentioned that in forever. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I just, I realized that I'm like, oh, let me fix that right now. And there's another one you haven't mentioned in a while too. I don't think in a couple of episodes, but I could be wrong. And I'm not going to say it. I'll let, I'll see if you, it comes up naturally. Yes, because of course your vision naturally. <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> I mean, this is a movie about musicians. Eurovision is about musicians. There. Parallels everywhere. <laughs> it's totally the same film, Erin. I don't know why you'd think that I wouldn't bring that up. <laughs> That's so great. There are certain actors who make it look so easy that I think sometimes people forget what amazing work they are doing. And I think that's the case with Coleman Domingo, especially in this movie, because it's not the showiest role in the movie. Um, it's not necessarily the, I mean, I've heard a lot of people talk about his performance, but it's not necessarily the one that everybody is going to always talk about. And he is, he's like the referee 
Um, he's like the one that wants to make sure everything is going to go okay. And he wants to play the good guy to everybody and make sure everybody can kind of just meld together because he knows how important this is and what a big deal this is. And to try and record this record is an amazing thing and they need to get it done. And he knows how easily that can slip away. And he knows the different temperaments of who he's dealing with. Um, And that's the other thing. And especially with Ma Rainey, I mean, he really knows her temperament really well. And, you know, it would be interesting to know more of their back history and how they met and, you know, seeing, you know, that kind of stuff. Because it's almost like a older brother, younger sister kind of dynamic. And you can tell he's very protective of her, but at the same time, you can tell he gets frustrated as heck with her. Um, so it's just a really interesting relationship to follow. But yeah, Coleman Domingo is, I want to see him on stage. There are some actors that I just am dying to see live. And he's definitely one of them because you can tell he he would just be incredible to watch up there. It would just be, just knock you out. So yeah, he's he's amazing. And I wish... He was getting more awards attention um, for this, between this and his performance in the um, standalone episode of um, Euphoria that recently came out that I talked about before on here. And Tiffany and I talked about it um, when we talked about Viola Davis. Um, He's just so, so incredible. He's one of those actors that seamlessly fits into whatever role he takes on. Um, and embraces every role he takes on and loves every character he takes on, no matter who that character is. And you can tell that. And I just, I, I just love it. I mean, this movie, honestly, these kind of movies that are intimate like this, it like calls to that actor part of me where it's just so great watching amazing performances and watching actors really give all their craft and their heart and their love. And you can tell they would be doing this for nothing. And most actors do it for nothing. (laughs) Um, And you can tell this is what they want to be doing and that they love to do. And it's just so beautiful to watch and so amazing. And yeah, so that's my favorite part about this movie is the performances, honestly. Um, Yeah. They're just all so incredible. And another incredible performance is Glenn Turman. So I want to talk about Glenn Turman Toledo. What are your thoughts on his performance, Carla? Oh my gosh. I, you know, mesmerized. I I love him so much. He's first of all, like as soon as I saw him, I knew where the story was going to go for him because it it just feels that way. You know, he's, he's a black man who has, um, who's successfully touring and he's successfully um, making a life for himself. He's, I guess come out at the other end of of the difficult life because he reached an old age. You know, like that that's kind of the marker of victory. He seems unbothered and he's reached an age at which he can gray peacefully. Um and because of the dynamic of the of this um production, it's also the kind of role where I know what's going to happen to the character which you know you don't think you're going to get as invested in Toledo as you do until you're like well crap I'm going to cry and 
you know, like like I've mentioned to you, and I'm sure that I've mentioned on here a million times, like I'm not a crier. It's really hard for me to like to shed tears about most stuff that I watch, even though like even the stuff that, that I'm like, oh, that's so sad. Like I can post like a million emoji about how much crying I'm doing. I'm probably not actually crying, but my heart is. So I'll just say that my heart was sobbing um, with Toledo and his story. But also he presents that perspective of what he's gone through as a black man in the United States in this particular period of time and before because he is so much older. And his perspective is that, you know, you kids are ungrateful and you don't know what hard work really is. And, you know, we think now about what it's like in 1927 when the film takes place and how difficult um, it was for black people then. But he's thinking about it from, you know, turn of the century and before about how difficult it was for him and for his life and for black people of his generation. So it is the kind of, you know, boomer millennial um, dichotomy and, and, interaction between him and Levy and their their arguments are still relevant today where he is where um, Toledo is decrying oh these kids all they want to do is have fun have fun have fun oh what is this they don't want to work they don't want you know they don't know what a struggle is and Levy's like hey I'm just young I'm super young and I'm super talented and I'm also really cute and I know that things are going to work out great for me because things are changing and um, I have the upper hand now. You don't know what it's like to have the upper hand, you bitter old man. Um, and there's really nothing like coming to the realization that you were wrong and your elders were, were right. It's a very frustrating thing. Um, most of us don't resort to what Levy did. But because it's a play because everything is so heightened you can you can see that and you can see from the their first interaction from when Toledo you know uh Levy starts talking to Toledo like really cuttingly and um and Toledo's like well Toledo didn't say anything to you like why are you messing with him because he talks in the third person in case in case listeners are forgetting this he talks in the third person which was very confusing to me at first because I was like wait there aren't enough people who is Toledo? There can only, like, are you Toledo? Are you, sir, are you Toledo? Can somebody tell me who Toledo is, please? And it's him, because he's talking <laughs> in the third person. It was, I was so confused. But once I figured that out, I was like, yes, yes, okay, yes. Toledo wasn't saying anything to you, Levy. Just back off. Um, but I, I think that that is the purpose of that particular character, is just to highlight the difference in the generation, generally, my gosh, generational differences between the characters um, and oh, also to break our hearts. And Glenn Turman was fantastic. Just his, his eyes. And I'm not just talking about that one scene, but, but just throughout the, the movie, his eyes, you just want to kind of be like, yeah, okay, whatever you say, sir, because he, he's, he's a man who, um, has earned the respect that he commands, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, all humans deserve respect, 
but I think especially, you know, there's some that you really look up to and, and you want to look up to him, even though you might be like, I want to have fun too. But yeah. Yeah. The, the eyes thing. I mean, it's been mentioned a billion times on here before by me and others that if I can't see the character in the eyes, then to me, the performance just doesn't work. And you can definitely see see that character in the eyes because he has to do so much reacting to everything that's going on around him. And so that's that's a big job to do. And he's an amazing actor and he makes it look so easy. And that scene, and we're going to get to it, of course, but that scene, oh my gosh, I, I was just like jaw on the floor and I I knew it was building to something, but I was like, nope, that's not really going to happen. I just didn't want it to happen. And I loved him so much. I really liked his character so much. And it just felt so wrong. It was just so, that's what made it so heartbreaking is it's like, he doesn't deserve this. He doesn't deserve this. Um, He's been, he's survived this long. He doesn't deserve to have this happen to him. And yeah, I think there's very much with him is that he's just so fed up with Levy's, you know, bravado and how he thinks he knows better than him. And it's just so hard for him because he kind of just, you can get, he kind of just wants to be like shaking him and go, wake up. You don't know. We aren't at that spot that you think we're at. You don't have the power that you think you do have, unfortunately. And, it's so hard to watch that and then to have that same person come back and kind of and and you know put out his flame really for lack of a better way of describing it but to put out that fire and to put out um that strength and to put out that wisdom and to destroy that wisdom is so heartbreaking and even watching levy right after he does it is heartbreaking too at the same time um, and yeah, the eyes, I mean, the eyes throughout it, everything in every single second that he is on the screen, even if you are invested in something else that's, else that's going on, you still find yourself wandering over to watch him and see what his reaction is or see what he's doing or see where his body's going. And so it's just so, so amazing to watch. As you can tell, the performances in this movie, I just, I just love the performances. It's just yeah, and let me tell you, like I watched the the little um, documentary after, mm-hmm. and he's the, the the main speaker in the documentary, and you don't know, like I almost like again, I almost cried out of just sheer happiness that he was still alive because he was that convincing. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, oh, hi, <laughs> so glad to see you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and he's another one that oh my god, to see him on stage must be incredible. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, or do you want to talk about any of the other performances before we move on to anything else? Since, um, Well, just look briefly about Dusty May. And I'm sorry, I, I didn't write down the, the actress's name. I don't know if you Taylor know Page. Taylor Page. Such an easy name. My goodness. <laughs> <sighs> Taylor Page. I'm so, sorry, Taylor Page. I will never forget your name again. I promise. Um, the the thing with, with Dusty May is... You know, she's a flirt throughout the whole film. She's dancing very... Well, first of all, she's just dancing, but she's dancing at people. You know, it, it's one thing to just express yourself through your body and to just move 
wherever the the beat takes you but she's like moving her beat towards <laughs> towards lovey mm-hmm. um and creating that that tension and part of that um part of the tension that leads to a lot of what happens towards the end of the film um and it's a very interesting character it's an interesting performance and if there's something about it that bothers me it's not her acting because I, I thought her acting was great she's she's compelling she's interesting she doesn't even have a lot to work with she doesn't have a lot of dialogue a lot of a lot to do but she's still interesting but what bothers me about the role is the perpetuating the myth that bisexual people are hypersexual and that you know well she's um because she's interested in both Marini and in Levy and she's clearly bi that she's just a constant cheating danger that she's never going to be satisfied by by one person because she has to sample everything around her and that that's really gross to me um i just uh yeah it just it just bothers me but it, it again it wasn't the actor she was a solid actor it's the way that it's written yeah no i i i agree that's a very good point about it i think um that's something a trope that's something that happens a lot when you have a bisexual character on the screen especially if you have a bisexual character that is extremely beautiful and extremely sexy and extremely attractive and she is yeah yeah because ma rainey is bi too but she really i mean she does have where she's walking with a man and woman but i mean the man is related to her so it's not the same thing um Um, but you only see Ma Rainey um, with her. So you only see her, that side of her sexuality. And I don't know if it's because of the fact that maybe they didn't think of her as being as sexy or something, that they didn't want to show that. I don't know. I'm kind of just spitballing there. But that's what's interesting. I think you know. that's that's a valid point because just inherently whenever there's a dark-skinned black woman and she's – particularly when she's a large black skin uh, dark skinned black woman um there's a tendency to think that as automatically you're subtracting sexy points that's the you know it's it's part of what drives the whole thing on dating apps where black women end up getting so much less attention because you you put a picture up and you're not um the same shade as Halle Berry and you're anything thicker than Halle Berry in, in that one James Bond movie which is coming out of the ocean and you're just not attractive so that's that that's another question that I had as I was watching the film is that um, because this is what Ma Rainey looked like she was a larger woman she was dark skinned and um, it's just interesting to see that they kind of in so many instances, juxtapose her and Dusty May. Dusty May is thinner. She is lighter skinned, younger, moves with more ease. And that's the, the person that 
is the the sex pod and the you know she's the hussy you know like what are we trying to say about black women and about about fatness and about sexuality is uh are we only portraying ma rainey as a lesbian not as a bi not as a bisexual person because we don't think that that there's enough time or it's believable enough that she could be alluring or interested in more than than women and is does he may um so much more interested in Levy, not just because Levy is attractive and charming, but also because, you know, look who she has on her arm. Like, ugh, I'm sure she wants to find something better. So, you know, like, I, I don't know how much is it's just me projecting onto this or how much of it is factual, but it did be me asking myself those questions. No, those are very, very good points and very, very good questions to ask. Cause yeah. Cause you know, the, Desi, the Desi May character is so interesting just because, yeah, there isn't much to her. I mean, she isn't, like, written as deeply as the other characters, of course. Um, she's almost like a pawn in the whole thing. Um, and she's almost like the match that sets a fire that starts blazing. And it's not something I think she she doesn't intend to do it. It's just something that happens. And what's interesting about her is the very first time you you kind of see her and Levy together and, and Levy's watching her, you know, when they're backstage and they're at that and he's watching her with this kind of lecherous look, honestly, on his face. And she looks put off by it, annoyed by it. And she actually looks a little scared, to be honest. Um, that's what I thought was so interesting about her character is there is a lot of vulnerability there, I think. I think there's this part of her that isn't and i'm not saying this this is not like not sure about sexuality that's not what i'm saying at all that's not sure of how she fits into this whole group of people and i think she feels that um maybe none of these people really see her as a fully fleshed out human being and it could be also that the i mean i like i said i haven't seen the place so i don't know if the play is any different with her um, so it could be maybe even August Wilson didn't flesh her out fully. So I don't know if it's just the writing wasn't fleshed out fully, or if that's just the way her character is where she's not sure anyone really sees her as a fully three, you know, dimensional person. Um, so it is, it is very interesting watching her and especially watching her juxtaposed to, uh, Ma Rainey, as far as with the bisexuality goes, because it is a very, two very different portrayals of it. Um, and so I want to I want to actually skip ahead and get into that since we've already mentioned that and talk about that because of course, I mean, in the twenties to be a bisexual black woman and to be very out about it, which she was in real life. She was very out about that is unheard of. Um, I mean, that's, that's something that literally can get you killed. So that's just, you know, that's just, wow. That just says a lot about the, about Ma Rainey right there. Um, so how do you think, I mean, we already kind of talked about it, but what do you think about that and her sexuality and how it was shown? And I thought it was so, I thought it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. And, you know, Ma Rainey, I didn't know much about her before watching the film and then watching the documentary after that. 
And then all of the the reading that I did that kept me up like late into the night because I was just so fascinated by her. But I I just it, it's such a brave thing to do, and it's horribly sad that it's that it has to be called a brave thing to do to just be yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the way you're, you're going to be treated, not because of of anything like inherently like amazing about it, but it, it is amazing. Um, because even in the 20s that are now, not even the 20s that were then, it's still mm-hmm. more than a bit dangerous to be a bisexual black woman. Um, and uh, just bisexuality, the way that it's portrayed or not portrayed because bisexuals are grossly underrepresented in, mm-hmm. in media. Um, there's... You know the constant pushback against that idea that we that we mentioned already about the hypersexualization of bisexual people and the idea that that you know they're all running around with their pants off just trying to bet everybody that they can um, and you add that to the idea of black women being you know loose and immoral and temptresses and you know like all of these things that are ascribed to black women um, because people fear the power of a black woman who feels good about herself. Um, So yeah, these are things that, that were brave for her to embrace back then. And she embraced them fully and openly. Um, And it is just awful that it's not like, now is a million times better now whoa we're talking about this as an archaeological mm-hmm. you know discovery it's it, it's still happening now um so I, I i was i was very pleased that it wasn't um brushed away because you know like when we talk about the the freddie mercury film and how uh-huh. yeah <laughs> i know like i see your face and i feel it in my heart because we both know that mm-hmm. that Freddie's sexuality was played way down, kind of like as an incidental thing. It's like, oh yeah, he also liked to have sex with men. Mm-hmm. Even though that's you know, that's a part of who he was. And like, why are we shaming this in the century? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it it is very pleasing to see it on the screen. Yeah, and um, and Viola Davis, of course, has played another bisexual character with her character in How to Get Away with Murder. This is bisexual as well. Um, and yeah, it's very rare, and it's very rarely handled well. And it's still, there's still people who think if you're bisexual, you just haven't made up your mind yet. Um, you just haven't actually come out of the closet yet. Or you're just experimenting. And it is also that thing. You just want whatever you want. You want... Um, you know, you want, you want your, you want your, what's that saying? I'm sorry. <laughs> Just, you want your cake? You want to eat it? Is oh, that, you, yes. Yes. You want to have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> Which by the way, isn't that the way cake works? I know. Like, it does. Obviously, I was... if I want my cake, what do I want it for to put it on a shelf? Like what am I going to do with it? Just like sit there and stare at it? No, I'm going to eat my damn cake. Let me have my cake and eat it. That's how things work. I mean, just let's not be ridiculous here. <laughs> Now I want cake. I <laughs> I'm sitting here picturing like this yeah. gorgeous wedge of of chocolate cake 
because like that's all I want wow yum that sounds good now we're gonna take a break and we're gonna go eat some cake and then (laughs) (laughs) anyway but yeah yeah it's very very rare that you see it where it is um displayed with any kind of respect or any kind of power and I don't mean power sexually I just mean power in someone being in is so fully themselves um, it's so, so rare. And, you know, I've mentioned before, I think, and this is pansexual, so it's a little bit different. It's different, of course, but I think Shit's Creek does such a great job with that because it's never, ever thought of, uh, it's never, ever brought up as a negative thing. It's never brought up as something where you should be ashamed or there's never a lot of hatred towards that. And so it's so rare that you see that that it makes me sad because when you do see it, you're like, wait a minute, wait, is this, is this, we're really seeing this? We're really going to see this now? Right. It feels like a fantasy land. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, wait, this is really happening and this is actually going to be okay. And it's not going to be like this character is going to be murdered for their sexuality. And we're going to have to watch that or they're going to watch their partner die or anything like that. Or we're going to have to watch it be painful. And we're actually going to watch someone really embracing who they are fully completely and we're going to be able to see it as a beautiful thing and not as something you should be ashamed of and it's so sad that that's so rare and that's the that's why you know once again representation matters every single person deserves to see themselves on screen it's so so important I mean, we have been sitting here talking about how much we love these performances and getting really into to the art of this film. And that's the thing is that film and media and art, they're so it's so powerful. And people brush it aside too much as, oh, it's just this. It doesn't matter. You don't need to see all of this because who cares? It's just a film. It matters because it makes a difference because if you can see yourself up there and see yourself as a fully fleshed out human being and that you matter and that you're okay and who you are is okay, it can help you feel better. It can help you feel like, oh, okay, if I can watch. Especially once you can start watching that at a younger age, like how many teenagers might be watching this. And seeing a woman being with a woman, and the issue here isn't that she's with another woman. Exactly. You know, like, and with David and Patrick, they're going on about their lives, having relationship issues caused by their personalities, mm-hmm. not by their sexualities. Exactly, which is so important because so many people out there might not have any other support system around them. They might not have anybody else there. And if they can see someone, especially if it's someone portrayed by, I mean, you've got Viola Davis and you're watching that. That's like, okay, well, Viola Davis is comfortable enough to play this character. Viola Davis is comfortable enough to be in the skin and to say, this is okay. Maybe it is okay that I am who I am. And that's so important. It is. And I I, I do want to bring up a point though, that the... The heat was so much more um, explicit between the hetero pairing than the two women. And that, that's one thing that, where I was like, wait, so, you know, Desi Mae's kissing and grinding on Levy, but Ma Rainey, like, just, you know, they have a sensual hug moment. Um, and that's all we really 
really get. I mean, it's clearly a relationship, but it's not as. Um, so even in this movie mm-hmm. where you can feel good about about seeing two women being together, you're still not seeing them being together. It's it's all that's true. The implication and, and all of that. So there's still a lot of work to do, obviously. Um, mm. So, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's a very, yeah, that's very, very true. Very good point on that. Cause that's true. It was very much kind of um, more playing with showing a little bit. We're just going to show a little bit, but we're not going to go fully there. Cause the scene with them where she does, where Ma Rainey does come up behind her is very sexy, very sexual. Um, there's a lot of desire there. There's so much desire there, but it does get cut off. You don't see anything else, and it's is the opposite when she hooks yeah. up with Lovey. That's very like true. The, there's yeah. not even a kiss. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's like the most basic thing. And I think at that point they were in the room just by themselves. And I think um, Sylvester was at the piano, so he's not even looking yeah. at them. Mm-hmm. And you're telling me that they couldn't like just kiss. I I don't understand that, but you know. So this is just you know another instance <laughs> of of. Um, being excited about the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as great as is to get anything, we have to keep pushing that and getting more and more and more. Yeah. And the big way, of course, that you do that, like we've mentioned before, is you have to have people behind the scenes too. It can't just be a bunch of white men and white women too. It can't be just white people behind the scenes and straight people behind the scenes. It has to be, everybody has to be behind the scenes. You can't go, we're all for inclusivity, excuse me, and then only be like, well, we'll have this token person in front of the camera. It has to be behind the camera as well. Every, every facet. And in the writer's room is so important, so important that you have the writing there too. So yeah, definitely. Um, Let's talk about the music. What are your thoughts on the music? I loved it. And this is the music that I grew up listening to. My my grandfather, um, he he was in the army in Mexico, and he was um, he traveled and he went up to to New Orleans at one point, and he fell in love with jazz music. So he started listening to jazz records, and they just became like this huge important piece of his life. And so growing up, like you know, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evenings. He would be sitting in his chair playing his jazz record and like tapping his foot. Um, so really my, my first real introduction to black music came from my my Mexican grandfather who, you know, he, he would tell me about about all the greats. And so we would um, listen to them. And then, you know, like I'm not a jazz, a jazz head myself, um, as we all know, you know. Bon Jovi rocks, rocks my world. My grandfather, I think, is probably like crying on his cloud. You know, he's he's sitting there with his harp. He's playing, you know, he's playing some wonderful jazz on his harp. And he's also like, it's very sad jazz, though, because it's all crying about how I'm listening to Bon Jovi. Sorry, puppy. <laughs> Sorry to let you down. Um, <laughs> but it's but- your life. Yeah, it's my life, and it's now or never. Okay, puppy? I'm not going to live forever, and I just want to live while I'm alive. And you know this, puppy. We've talked about this. Um, the music was beautiful and powerful and moving. 
Um, and the style that Ma Rainey played, her particular type of blues, is completely the kind of blues that I love. That is, you know, like the newer blues that that Levy was was pushing for is also great, but I it doesn't hit me the way that the older style does. Um, they're both beautiful, though. Like it, it's. It's a beautiful, ever-evolving genre of music. It's part of a great history of Black music. And it's... I, I, I just... I liked the way that the music was part of the whole film, there, but there were also quiet moments. And that's something that I think is great, that even in a, in a movie that is about musicians and about music and about how all of this impacts everything that they're doing. Mm-hmm. You still allow those moments of quiet and just being with the characters and just being with the dialogue. Um, because as, as we know, not all media does that. <clears throat> Montreal. Hill. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it, it was really a great balance, I thought. Yeah, yeah. And I also grew up listening to a lot of this music and, and to jazz. And I mean, my mom still listens to I think here it's Kuvo, I believe is the station that she listens to all the time. And my dad, of course, listened to it to this music as well. Um, and uh, one of the great things I, I got from my dad um, is that love of music and learning about all different kinds of music that I probably would have never learned about without him and my mom too. My mom and my dad actually are like, they were, I mean, I haven't seen my dad in like over 20 years, but anyway, they were like oil and vinegar. I mean, the only reason I think oil and vinegar, oil and water. <laughs> oil and vinegar. Oh my God. I know. I'm like, wait a second. This doesn't compute. <laughs> oh, so they're, they're salad dressing? <laughs> they're vinaigrette? But vinegar is delicious. I, I'm confused, Aaron. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> but they, I mean, they really, I really think the only reason they ever came together was to make me. But the other reason they bonded was jazz. That was what they completely bonded over. And when you would go into, my my dad had um, literally his whole wall was just covered wall to wall with records um, reel to reels, which I don't know if anybody remembers those. <laughs> and then, of course, later it'd be um, CDs and everything, and just every genre of music practically you could find there. And it was such a blessing to grow up hearing that um, because I think getting exposed to all different kinds of music and not just the stuff you're hearing on the radio or not just the stuff of your generation makes such a profound difference. And as I've stated before, music is everything to me. And any movie that centers itself on music in any way is going to, of course, appeal to me, usually. I mean, I don't think that that one about the the country singer and his wife who's dying or something. <laughs> Sorry. <it's just> <laughs> I mean, you just described like 10 films. Movies. It's one of those Christian produced <laughs> movies. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I'm going on a lot of weird tangents tonight. Um, <laughs> but, but just, you know, this is also why you're going to eventually fall in love with Eurovision. Just wanted to throw that in there. That's why. That's another reason why I can't believe I haven't watched it. But as far as I know, Carla has not started watching Queer as Folk yet. So 
That was oh, our deal. Oh, that's true. You got me. Oh, no. <laughs> so, hey. <laughs> but yeah, the music is great. It's wonderful. I love listening to it. Um, it it's something that kind of just, it makes you just want to dance, but in a different way, not like dance, dance. It just wants makes you want to move. Um, you just want to listen to it more. And it's so much a part of, it's so much a thread of this movie. And not just because it's about music, but it's just a thread that just weaves itself in and out. And I always wished that that was something I could do. I always wished that I had a voice where I could sing. And I can't. I've tried, people. I have tried. <laughs> I did this improv performance. Sorry, I'm going on another little tangent here. But it just reminds me, I did this one improv thing once where we had to, if if we were called out, if we didn't, fi- it was this improv exercise. And if you can't finish the thing, you die, you quote unquote die. And you have to die by a particular way and you choose what it's going to be beforehand. So this is one of those things that wasn't fully improv. And so one person, their chosen way of quote unquote dying was to go to a really bad rendition of um, Annie. So then I had to sing tomorrow. (laughs) So I was singing tomorrow at the top of my lungs. I'm not going to do it because I don't want to hurt our listeners' ears. Oh, tomorrow. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I almost did it. (laughs) That was But anyway, yes. Thank you. Thank you. And there's a dog barking because I think I probably caused that's called a chorus. That's a good thing. Yes, yes. Um, but anyway, I always wish that I could because I love music so much. And, you know, I, it's what makes me feel better. It's what gets me hyped up for things. It's no matter how much I get judged by a dog on how I look when I am dancing and singing, I still love doing it. <laughs> um. But anyway, yeah, so that's so it's such a great part of this and I loved listening to it and I need to see if it's on if I can find some of the stuff on Spotify and add it to my ever growing playlist. Um but yeah, I just I I I absolutely loved it. Okay, one of the things, there's a couple of things that people have issues with in this movie. Um other than the stuff that we've talked about already with this with some of the portrayals of the bisexuality um, is number one, a lot of people don't like the fact that this isn't your typical biopic. So you're not learning Ma Rainey's history. You're not following her from childhood on. Um, it's more just about this day and these characters and, and them coming together and trying to make this record. So what were your thoughts on the, on the fact that it wasn't a typical biopic? I was actually fine with it. You know, like I would love to learn more about Ma Rainey and I intend to um, I'm already starting my my deep dive into the Googles, but I I don't feel like I don't feel shortchanged by this movie because um, you do get to know a lot about her and her motivations and what drives her, which I think in a lot of biopics it it just it gets uh, stretched really long and. It can be fascinating. You know, you have the Ray Charles movie, which was fantastic. Um, uh, Rocket Man about about Elton John. And I think, in, in, you know, they definitely have their merits. They were both fantastic films. 
But the strength of this movie is that you're seeing a lot of who she is and why she is the way she is from this one day. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Um, I would absolutely watch a different biopic that did go in the more traditional uh, direction. But I, I, I just I didn't feel like this was awful. And it's also based on a play. So, you know, a play is going to be much different than um, than your standard biopic. So. I don't know. I, I just th- this is one of those, you know, agree to disagree kind of mm-hmm. things for me. Same. I'm in the same exact boat. I just ditto basically everything you said because, yeah, I agree. Um, and I would love to see that someday, an actual biopic about her. But I didn't feel it was necessary with this at all. I didn't feel like I was cheated or missing out on anything because I thought the story was so rich anyway. So, yeah, that didn't need it. Okay. And the other thing that people have complained about and talked about is the fact that Viola Davis is wearing a fat suit in this. So she did not put on weight. She's actually wearing a fat suit. Did you have any issues with that, Carla? That I did. That I did. Um, You know, I'm not not here supporting um, the idea of actors transforming their bodies dramatically for a role. I, I just, I can understand why they do it. I just think that that can't be good for your long-term health. Christian um, Bale. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the first th- Paging th- Christian example <laughs> that pops into my mind. Him and the machinist, just the drastic weight loss that was just so terrifying as a viewer. But um, I just, my problem with that is that there are plenty of larger black actresses out there who could have played this role. Now, you know, I absolutely get the appeal of Viola Davis. There is no way that I'm saying that anybody could be a Viola Davis. But I am saying that there could be somebody out there who could take this role and have a stellar performance with it and not have to be padded up with a fat suit. Um, I, I think it's one of those things where Again, the fat phobia rears its head where we're so concerned about having the appearance of a fat black woman played on screen, but we're not willing to actually hire one. Um, In its own way, it's, uh, you know, there's a whole movement for like actual factual representation of people. And this certainly is part of that. You know, when you're talking about disability and you're talking about abled actors playing a disabled part and how unnecessary that is because you're basically saying that all of these disabled actors can't possibly be part of a film role. That There are all these excuses that are given that, like, whatever. You're, you're just not willing to try and, and um, make your um, your production accessible because you're cheap and lazy. Um, And with this, it just feels like, well, no actual fat black actress is going to be talented enough to play this person. So we're going to have somebody else come in Mm -hmm. who is undoubtedly talented. I am absolutely not taking anything away from Viola Davis. But that is a problem. And again, I'm not saying she should have put on the weight because I don't think that's the, the way to go either. 
And even if she did, that would still be negating all of the larger black actresses who already exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I instantly thought of, and probably just because we covered Living Single last week, but I instantly thought of Queen Latifah. I mean, plus Queen Latifah can sing. She can sing, can yeah. sing. Yeah. Um, and she's a really good actress. I think she's gotten even better as the years have gone on. I still need to watch The Equalizer. Um, is it? Have you watched it? Oh, you haven't? No, but I'm dying to. Yeah, yeah. I've got to watch that. But she, I mean, she could have done it and, um, you know, um, and it's, it's, I'm mixed on it um, because I do think we need to have more representation out there of different body types. Um, I totally get why Viola Davis wouldn't want to put on the weight as a woman in that industry. And especially I'm sure as a black woman, I'm sure it's like even 10 times harder as a woman in that industry, your body is judged so much. Um, You know, you have to perfect it all the time and you have to be, skinny skinny or looked at as attractive as as what um society says is attractive even if other people think there's something else attractive so i get that plus i do agree i think sometimes health wise it's not always healthy um and the reason i said christian bale is i mean he did he did the machinist and then instantly went and did batman and so he lost all that weight and then instantly gained it all and then he's done this so many times i mean his heart probably is i don't even want to know Right, there's all um, those implications like we don't know what they are, and it's yeah. one thing mm-hmm. to to just gain weight, just because you gain weight for whatever reason that might be. That's you know I'm not saying like oh it's not okay to gain weight, but if you're doing it for a role, if you're drastically changing your body like that, um, and then the idea of of coming back to the body that you're starting with. It's, you know, like, I, I get that it's a lot. It's a lot to ask of a body, especially, like, if you're not 25 years old. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, for a lot of reasons, I understand. It's just a shame that we can't see outside of the, um, outside of this very narrow thing where, like, well, we're, that's set on this actress, and we're just, even though she doesn't, yeah, I, I've already said it all. It just, yeah, it does bother me. Yeah. And, and I mean, Tiffany, I, Tiffany and I talked about this when we talked about Viola Davis and we both said we were okay with it, but we understood. And that is the way I feel, but I totally get not being okay with it and wishing uh, that they didn't go that route because there is. This part of it that it is kind of insulting. A fat suit is kind of insulting. Um, and like you said, there are tons of actresses out there, tons of black women that could have played this that wouldn't need to gain or lose any weight. Um, so there are those actresses out there. Not not every actress is a stick. So, you know, that's that's the thing. And that's and that's another thing with um with hollywood in general <laughs> you know it's all about appearance and looks um and you know it's a very very shallow industry in a lot of respects so yeah it doesn't surprise me and i and i don't fault viola davis at all for it i want to say that i don't fault her at all 
for wearing a fat suit. I don't falter at all for taking the role and, and not being like, no, give it to, you know, someone who, who is not as thin as me and someone who doesn't look like me. I don't, I don't blame her at all. I want to say that, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting debate and another thing if where you can go, okay, I kind of wish we had been able to see a real body and not just a suit. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to get into, um, the scene that broke both Carla and I's heart. So let's, um, let's talk about the murder, but I want to talk about also what leads up to that. With that, it's sad to see a seed and know exactly how the fruit will be strangled. So when Levy is buzzing with excitement, full of life and confidence, not only in his own talents, but in his ability to play the game and come out on top. And you know the history of black musicians in the United States. You know where that story is leading for him. When I saw Toledo, this you know, older black man who has been through so much and is at a point in his life where he feels more secure and established. I knew where it was going to end for him and I knew how that would take place. So there was no surprise to me when the record producer who has been, you know, promising Levy all of these things, you know, like, oh, well, we'll definitely get you a band and you'll record your music and you know you have such great style we're very interested in what you have to to say and to bring to to the music world and Levy just runs with it he doesn't take anybody's advice about how to deal with white people um and you see the difference between in in uh Cutler and the way that he is dealing with the producers and the way that he's dealing with the band where he knows that if he doesn't, you know, quote unquote, play his part, then for one thing, Ma Rainey can't play hers and she can't be everything that she is if he's also like that. Because, you know, they'll they'll take one black person acting like that, but they won't take more than one, more than likely. Um, so when the producer... Tells, tells Levy, well, I looked at your songs and they're really not that good. They're not really what we're looking for. I'm sorry. You know, like, oh, but, you know, if you want, you know, I'll do you a favor and, and give you $5 for each song. You know, like, that's the most I can offer you because you're you're not that as talented as I, as I thought you were. Basically, you know, demeaning everything that Levy is, everything that he's been working towards. And in Levy's story about how um, his mother was assaulted and his father uh, came up with this plan of, you know, delivering his child and wife to safety, coming back and taking care of the men who had done this to his family and ended up dying at their hands. He took all of that as um, that's how you have to deal with them with white people you have to um smile at, the, at their faces and you know yes sir and all of that and then you're the serpent and you're going to come back in and surprise them with a bite in the end um and he thinks that he can do that he thinks that he successfully managed it he's not looking at what ma rainey is doing he's not looking at what, what the band is doing um he's not even acknowledging 
the way that music actually works, which is that you're only as valuable as you can enrich in whatever white person is on top. Um, so yes, it's very obvious from the beginning that what's going to happen is that he's going to have his music taken away from him and be recorded by a white artist. And yes, for me, it was very clear that he would be the one to quite literally stab Toledo in the back. Um, and, you know, he had, Lovey had his share of frustrations in that one day. I'm not excusing that. I'm just, you know, the storyline, this is where it leads, is that he is very excited, goes and buys these expensive new shoes that he blew basically all of his money on um, because he's very confident that he's walking out of there with like tons of money in his pocket. He's very cocky. He's showing off his shoes. They're his like big pride and joy for the moment. He's not focused on the hustle. He's not learning any lessons. He seduces Ma Rainey's girl and um, or, you know, lets himself be seduced, depending on how you're looking at it in the whole fire representation arena. Um, gets fired by Ma Rainey has his dreams of record, of becoming a recording artist in his own right crushed in front of his face. Um, it's actually frustrated because he didn't get to, you know, actual home base. And to make matters worse, he opens a closed door and finds a brick wall, which just signifies everything about him. And the parallel to that is once he kills Toledo... That's it. He doesn't get a redemption story out of this. He's a black man in the 1920s. What do you think is going to happen to him? You know, and it's not exactly because Justice cares all that much about Toledo either, because he's just another black man. What do they actually care? But it's, you know, there's going to be any excuse to lock a black man up. You know, it's it's going to be taken. Um, so it's a devastating scene. Because all of the promise that Levy had is gone. And I don't I didn't feel any sympathy for him about his music being taken. I felt sympathy about the plight of black artists in general, but not him specifically because he was setting himself up to fail. Um and because I had it in my head that he was going to kill Toledo, I didn't exactly have a lot of sympathy for the character anyway. But it is still heartbreaking to see such a young man basically come to the end of his prospects and the deck is stacked so much against him. And, you know, like all of that is like the high-minded version, but the, in my heart, it's just devastating. Toledo, um, I desperately wanted him to live out his days on, you know, some front porch playing music, talking about about music with the people and, you know, just maybe touring, you know, like whatever. I, I, I would have loved for him for that to be the rest of Toledo's life. But it's not. And it's devastating because that's two lives ended right there. That's Toledo's life. That's Levy's life. They're both basically dead. And it, it's completely heartbreaking. And I just, I... You know, I, I love this movie. 
I know that I want to watch this movie again, but I don't know that I could bring myself to, to be perfectly honest. It's, it just, just thinking about it, like my tears that won't come out because I guess my, my ducts don't work right. Like the tears are like so close to the edge. And I, I, I can't, I can't think about it without thinking of Toledo's eyes. Disbelieving heartbroken and levy the way that Chadwick, the Chadwick Boseman as we've already discussed the way that he uses his eyes his expressions like he's such a talented expressive actor the disbelief in him as well where he's thinking oh to lead it just walk it off you know I'll, I'll help you walk and this man is dead and he did it and he doesn't even know what to do with himself about it and you don't even get to see what happens after. Like, you know what happens after, but you don't know what happens after. And that's scary. Yeah, I don't know if I can add any. I mean, really, that was so well said and thought out and and worded. And I, I don't I really honestly don't think there's anything else I can add to that. Um, I will say if you give it like I had watched this back when it was first released and then the second time I watched it was today, earlier today. So I think if you give yourself that much time, it's a, a tad, tiny bit easier. Not really. I mean, it's still, it still was like, I was still like, oh man, that's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this. It's so hard. Yeah. And it's, it's so, so it's, it's not sudden, but it is sudden. It's this weird mm-hmm. thing where it's like, whoa, it's just one of those moments where I vocally, the first time I saw it, I went, oh my God. Um, and and it's so hard to watch Toledo's eyes in that yes. scene. It is so devastating. Um, and I always, you know, I'm a horror fan, so I've watched lots of people get murdered. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I will say there's something about when someone is murdered in the way that Toledo is and when they're the character that Toledo is where it's more heartbreaking than other murders um where it makes you ache literally ache like your it feels like your stomach is just being twisted um your insides are because this person was such a beautiful human being and such an innocent and i don't mean innocent like a child is innocent i just mean such a good good person and i'm not saying that even if he wasn't he wouldn't he would deserve this i'm just saying like that makes it even more devastating and more hard. And I agree. I would have loved to have seen him on that porch, on the porch swing, um, maybe even having Cutler over sometimes and, um, you know, just shooting the breeze with him and just talking about the old, you know, their days performing and, and that kind of thing. And so to know that'll never happen and to also know that because of Levy's bravado taking that big hit and all of his hopes and dreams being dashed in that one second by that white man and by white society and by the world and knowing that everything he had been told that Toledo had said to him was true and to know that, you know, even wearing those shoes wasn't going to mean anything, especially now that Toledo happened to accidentally 
step on them and scuff them a little bit. Right, because it was like a an extra disrespect. Toledo disrespected mm-hmm. him by telling him the truth. Mm-hmm. And then he disrespected him further by stepping on his symbol of uh, a visible success. Exactly. Yeah, that's the perfect way. Yeah, perfect way to put it. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And it was just that final straw that broke him. But you can see in his face that instantly after he does it, he regrets it. And I think he even truly believed he wasn't killing him. I think he truly believed he was just hurting him. And then when he realized what he had done, I think it was like, you know, with him saying, don't look at me like that. Don't look at me like that. Don't look at me like that. And you can tell he's like, well, now it's really, truly over for not just him, but for me. Because like you said, no one is going to care about him. Um, He's going to be in prison for the rest of his life. I, you know, I would guess dead now, you know, I mean, dead, like really soon after that happened. Um, Yeah. yeah. So it's just, it's just a tragedy all around. And it's just a, such a hard scene to watch. And I can't imagine watching that in the theater. Oh my gosh, that must just be even more painful. Um, And just more intimate, but yeah, it's, it's still heartbreaking. Like I can literally see the scene in my head, <laughs> like in my, in my yeah. eyes, I'm just like close my eyes and I can literally see it again. And it's, it's that gut punch and it's just, oh, it's just heartbreaking. That's when we're playing in my head just on, on a constant rotation since I watched the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just I, all I keep seeing are Toledo's eyes. Yeah. The, oh my gosh. Those eyes. Yeah. It's just, oh, it's yeah. Very devastating. Um, well, the movie ends, the final uh, shot in the movie before you get to actually see footage, uh, real pictures of the real Ma Rainey and stuff, is um, a white band taking the black song, the black music, black words, black musicians' hard work and turning it and appropriating it for their own use, which has been done time and time again, century upon century. That's what's been done. So what did you think about that being the final shot in the movie it especially after you've had two hours of black artists showing their excellence and listening to this music that just moves you with every single beat and word and note and then to have Levy's song played so soullessly by a very bland white artist with a very bland white band. Um, It's really heartbreaking. And it's the natural progression of how black artists and just black people in general constantly um, excluded from their own legacy. Um, You know, Ma knows that this is kind of where things are going. And she knows that if she doesn't wield her power the way that she does, that she will be written off and her music and her legacy is is going to go on to a white artist, which is why she hangs on to, um, to the pen metaphorically until she literally has to sign the, the release and why she insists on recording the way that she wants to record so that she can wield the power and let, 
these white um, uh, producers know who has the power. Um, even though everybody knows that they're the ones who do in the end. Um, th- and that's what Levy doesn't get and where his hubris leads, unfortunately. Um, and it also ended up reminding me of, I don't know if you've seen Cabaret. Mm-hmm. But that, that very last moment, um, at least in, in the film, I know it's also been done on, on stage in different ways, mm-hmm. um, where the MC is shooing um, the uh, the performers off. Mm-hmm. And then you turn to the to the mirrors and where there used to be all of these like fancy dressed up people art is just like a whole room of of. Like you know, with Nazis and interspread into the into the crowd, and that's what it felt like to me. It it felt like that gut punch of um, you're 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 being very forcefully pulled from this black story mm-hmm. into what is now a white story, and that's exactly what happened. That's how you get Elvis. Now Elvis immensely talented but absolutely his fame is on the back of of black artists whose mm-hmm. music was stolen from them um and how many artists are are there out there even today who rely on the brilliance of black songwriters you know how many you know tiktok trends are stolen from black kids how many hashtag movements are stolen from their creators you know, there's a Tarana Burke out there for every Alyssa Milano. And it's constant and it it does it, it's not exactly stopping. You know, everybody knows about it. It's it's easy now to expose it and it's still happening. And that just shows you the um the level of privilege and of entitlement that white people have and feel and how horrible it is that even in this age of hypervisibility where anything can be exposed fairly quickly, it's still happening. It's not mm-hmm. history. It's still happening. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think just those few minutes, that's just that last scene really tells you everything of what white culture is about and what the white in- entertainment industry is about and not just in music either, but, you know, it's, there's so much appropriation that goes on. Um, and white people, we don't always realize it or know it or want to face it. Um, you know, I, Elvis was someone I listened to a lot. Um, and even though I, I knew, I still honestly would be like, it, uh, whatever, it doesn't matter, but it does matter. Because, you know, you have, you know, you have people like, you know, you have Chuck Berry and people like that who don't get the same kind of level of attention and accolades and legacies that Elvis has. Um, and, you know, it's, it's so easy to just steal instead of learn from, appreciate, give people their dues, um, recognize and, you know, it's, you know, it's like we, we're a culture that even now, especially with like 
jumping on the latest hashtag of activism and just being like, I'm going to jump on this just to jump on it, but not actually being performative and um, not being a real true ally or not being a real true um, individual or human, like the way that Alyssa Milano, um, you know, hijacked the Me Too movement, really. Um, And not just her. (laughs) It's not just her who did that either. But you watch that and, and it's so often it's accredited to her and she's not the one who started it. And she does very little to acknowledge that fact. And that's what plays into it. And she does very little to be like, to push back against that. Uh, if she's done it at all, I don't know. Maybe she's said something once or twice. No, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Barely. And, yeah. And even if she did, it's drowned out by all the numerous other times she doesn't. So she's like, here, I'm going to be the pioneer of this and get all the attention for this when it was a black woman who bravely started this and who started this movement. And without her, we wouldn't be where we are today, which we still have a long way to go. But still, we wouldn't be where we are today without her bravely starting Me Too, um, without Toronto Burke starting it. We wouldn't be where we are. And that gets lost so much because of the fact that a white woman took it over. And that's the way it is for most things out there is it's just easier to take than to give. It's easier to have the attention on yourself than to give it to somebody else, especially when it comes to any, to a dynamic like that, when it comes to white people and white men and white women um, taking from black men and black women and black, especially black artists all the time. Um, It's just easier to take than it is to give. And it's something that we all have to be better about. And the big way that you can help with that is to call it out and to not always consume it and to not follow it and to not always be like, I am going to embrace this person, but not that person. So if you're going to embrace this artist, really, you should look at embracing that artist. And if you're going to embrace this person in this movement, you should really look to the creator of the movement. So it's it's a lot of self-reflection and doing it yourself because people that do this are not going to go away because they know they're going to be able to do it. So the only way it stops is by people not buying into it or not giving it power. And it's something we need to work we need to really work at and get better at. So so that we don't have to have ending scenes like that that are relevant in 2021. <laughs> You know, they have to be something we look at and go, oh, I'm glad that doesn't happen anymore. And sadly, we've got a long way to come. So, yeah. Well, I think this has been a lot of fun talking about this movie with you, Carla. I think it's been enjoyable. I hope you've had fun, too, talking about it. Cause, I love yeah. talking to you about films. Thank you. I, I love being able to delve into films. And I'm glad our Promising Young Woman did episode did so well, because then that tells me that people do want to hear more films be delved into, because that sounded really weird, uh, the way I worded that. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we've got we've got more coming up. Um, and I'll save what's on our next episode. Sorry for our closing out. But we do have a bunch more films throughout this year that we are going to be delving into. So it'll be a lot of fun. Okay. So, Carla, if you want to just let everybody know where you can be found. 
Yes, I am co-host with along with Meg, another frequent panelist on It's a Fandom Thing. We have our own podcast called Bedwater Up Ahead, and it's exactly what it sounds like, but more classy and a lot more drunk. <laughs> you can find us on any podcast finding place and also on Twitter, which is um, my summer home. And that's at Bed, Wet, Behead, Pod. Bed, Wet, Behead, Pod. Yes, yes. And then the podcast is Bed, Wet, or Behead. I love that you say classy, but drunk. <laughs> we, we're classy drunks. We've managed to straddle that line. We're pioneers. <laughs> no, it is an awesome show. Even though they have broken my heart on more than one occasion, <laughs> I will say. Not just one occasion. But just think about how good it is that we've broken your heart and you're still listening. That's true. Like, See, that's that says amazing. something. That says something. <laughs> but they broke my heart when they harmed a character that I love more than any other character. <laughs> we just clean took his head off and she still loves us. It's amazing. And I still love them. <laughs> I still let them back on this podcast, too. Although, I know. Like, it's magic. Although, as you may have noticed, Meg has not been on in a while. <laughs> oh, she's scared of you now. No. <laughs> No, Meg is coming up very soon. Next week, she's going to be on an episode. So, yeah. Okay, and this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any show notes, feedback, anything at all, feel free to email us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And on our next episode, Carla is going to return and we're going to discuss Judas and the Black Messiah. So um, I'm very, very interested in discussing this one. So there's there's a lot to delve into with this movie. So it should be a good discussion. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter. Thank you again for listening to It's a Fandom Thing. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Our logo was designed by Brooke Belly with cover art by Carla Timmies. Additional research was done by Megan Archuleta. Our Instagram and Facebook content producer and creator is Erin Amos. And our producer is Lila Tafola. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe. And remember, keep that fandom spirit alive. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.